Hello, everyone, and welcome to Faith and Capital. This time, we're talking about Palm Sunday as we move into Holy Week. Yeah, we're already in Holy Week. Before we do that, though, I would like to remind you to consider supporting us on Patreon. We've made some changes over there. Now we have a tier system, and for as little as $2 a month, you can access this growing library of education material for you or for your organization. Very heavy political stuff, but it's important. All really good stuff. And we're going to keep this main feed where we post our main episodes for free to everyone as more of a conversation. But if you want to find our more hard-hitting theory stuff, check out our Patreon. Okay. Palm Sunday. A reflection on power. So you get it. This coming Sunday is Palm Sunday. The day when Jesus processes into Jerusalem on a donkey while his followers shout, Hosanna, and lay palms along his path. The tradition reads it as a triumphant entry of sorts, as the new king announces himself to the people. But those of us who know where this story is going may question just how triumphant it is after all. But let's try not to move into the rest of the story yet. Let's stick with this one. Luke 19 is the text I'm using this year for Palm Sunday Reflection. Ironically, it doesn't say anything about palms. But in it, Jesus tells two of his disciples to go to a nearby town where they'll find a colt. They're to untie it and bring it back to Jesus. If anyone stops them, they're to say, the Lord needs it. Now, why they didn't take this opportunity to say, the Lord needs ass, I don't know because that's what I would have said, but they don't. When they arrive at the village, they find the colt where Jesus said it would be, and they untie it. The owners come to them and ask, why are you taking my donkey? But they say, the Lord needs it. And this is enough for them. So from this exchange, we can tell that Jesus' ministry has spread and taken root in cities and towns all around the region. Jesus has followers and accomplices among the people, and he calls upon them to make his entry into Jerusalem possible. So let's notice all the people who participate in this story, even as they go unnamed. When the disciples return to Jesus with this donkey, it's the disciples who throw their cloaks on the colt before Jesus climbs on top. Again, folks are participating in the work, making it possible. Then, as Jesus is riding along the road, the people along his path throw their cloaks on the road to pave the way. You know, it's not exactly a red carpet, but it's honoring for their Lord nonetheless. Then the multitude of disciples who are gathered there joyfully shout, Blessed is the King who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest heaven. So the contrasts are clear between the two persons who have a claim to kingship, the two kings, and the ways in which they amass and wield their power. And those two are Jesus and Caesar. Jesus rides into the city on a donkey, a humble entrance for a king, while Caesar and his processions would ride in on a war horse followed by his soldiers. And the other accounts of this Palm Sunday entrance tell us that Jesus comes in through the side gate of the city, 
while Caesar parades right through the main doors. Most importantly, though, while Caesar demands a show of admiration from the people when he enters the city in victory, Jesus is honored by the masses as he enters in because they believe him. They trust him. They choose his kind of kingship over that of Caesar. To say that this entry into Jerusalem was looking for a direct confrontation with Caesar and his legion, his armies, well, I think that'd be a mistake. But another mistake would be to miss that Jesus' entry here is a theatrical way of opposing the way of Rome and proclaiming that another kind of world is possible. And then finally, some Pharisees stop Jesus and try to get him to rein in his followers and end this whole show. Tell your people to be quiet, they say. And then Jesus comes back with this banger of a line, I tell you, if they were silent, the stones would cry out. There are two kinds of power in contention in Jerusalem that day the top-down power of empire, and the bottom-up power of God through Jesus, through the people, and indeed through all of creation. So what kind of power are y'all after anyway? You who are radical and revolutionary Christians, you who are communists and socialists, you who believe in the necessity of revolution. I'm not looking for a new and better Caesar. And that's the interesting thing about this Jesus story. While we refer to Jesus as a king, to put him in relation both to Caesar and also to put him in continuity with the Hebrew Bible's prophetic tradition, his actual reign, in quotes, isn't very kingly at all. He empowers the masses to experience freedom. He equips the people to love one another. His method of ruling is service and sacrifice. The new king doesn't seem to be much of a king at all, and the new kingdom will look nothing like the old. The same could be said for the dictatorship of the proletariat that Marxists uphold as necessary, as part of our work. It begins with the knowledge that what the capitalist state has over us, the people, is a dictatorship by and for the bourgeoisie. The state apparatus exists to suppress the toiling classes and defend the mode of production to which all our wealthy, exploiting overlords benefit. We believe that the people need an apparatus to assert their will, to suppress the will of these capitalists as we transition through socialism and into communism. But this quote-unquote dictatorship doesn't look anything like the dictatorship under which we all live today. For the people who will guide and direct this new dictatorship, if you will, which is workers and their allies, it will mean freedom. It will mean the new preconditions are met for relationships built on love. It'll mean new communities and new possibilities for what it means to be human together. There's a contrast here between the rule of capital and the rule of the masses of people, between the wideness of creation 
and the few exploiters. If you're a follower of Jesus, you choose the side of the people, of creation, of the many, of the underside. Let's not forget that this movement toward a new kind of world is truly the movement of the people. We must win them, love them, serve them, and empower them. Because the new heaven and the new earth are theirs to build. No organization that's worth its salt speaks for the people. As we look back on the story of Jesus making his final entrance into Jerusalem, contrasting God's vision for what life could be to Caesar's, be reminded that God's power does not come down to us from on high, but grows from the soil. It's the wide and expansive power of the working people in God's good creation. Amen. Amen.